Welcome to this week's episode of the Farim Podcast. Uh, this is supposed to be a live stream to Pilot Ground, but with me running the show, we had some technical issues, and we have some limitations with the editing capability as well. So here we are. This is our special guest, Northern Ohio uh, flight legend, Andy Kipper, with us. Uh, so just a little background, Andy, really quick. Three yeah. sentence, a three-sentence background from my perspective. Uh, he's also a co-worker of mine in the Learjet, and we've become pretty good buddies, I'd say, right? We're buddies. Oh, for sure. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, give us a little background on your story, and um, we'll go from there, see where the conversation goes. Cool, yeah. So, um, you know, grew up here, lived here all my life, um, got interested in aviation at a kind of young age, uh, started How out young is a young some, age? How young is a young age? 14, I started flying. That's so. Young. Yeah. By myself. How about that? Um, yeah. Powered parachutes. Uh, okay. So, so got into those, um, decided I want to go to ATC school uh, through kind of a friend my dad met. Um, so uh, knowing that, we, I was looking at uh, Beaver County Community College. They uh, require you to have a pilot's license to uh, graduate. So I got started uh, junior year in high school on my private and uh, finished that up and then uh, started ATC school. It didn't, didn't really work out. Um, kind of fast forward. Can, sh- can you share that? Like, why not? Yeah, just I uh, like, wasn't a really good student, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I took a probably an aviation weather course. I think it was. I, I think I took it three times and uh, <laughs> never, never passed. <laughs> so, uh, so decided ATC school wasn't for me. Um, started working out at, uh, Youngstown airport doing line service for about five years. And then, um, they had a flight, uh, flight department there. Uh, I saw a lot of young guys flying right seat and some King airs. And, and I asked the chief pilot one day, I'm like, Hey, how do I, uh, fly right seat like those guys? And he said, you know, get all your ratings and we'll start using you. So, uh, I did that and, you know, went and got my instrument, commercial multi, um, and then uh, started flying right seat in a King Air. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that progressed to uh, uh, got a job as a captain on a King Air 350. And then the, um, working for a 91 family. And then um, I, miss, I missed a part in there where uh, so I went to A&P school uh, after college. Mm. Got my A&P. Yeah, yeah. 16-month um, program, uh, uh, Pittsburgh Institute Aeronautics. Um so I did Which that. Which is an awesome school. It was great. It was right there at Youngstown, uh, housed at the airport. And then I worked uh, line service. So I would go to school from like eight to three or something like that. And then uh, get off school and head right over to work my line service shift and pretty much uh, seven days a week spending at the Youngstown airport. So like the chronology of it. You, so you got your private and then your AMP. Did it go like that? Yeah. So I got my private and instrument. Um, and then I was in A and P school when I finished up my commercial and multi, uh, okay. while going to A and P school. Okay. And then, uh, uh, shortly after that, um, got hired on full time as a right seat, you know, co-pilot out at the airport there. So you had your private instrument, multi-commercial A and P about the time that you started right seating. Correct. Okay. Correct. So a lot of stuff coming together all at once. 
And like, yeah. so like a lot of people have a similar setup like that where like they're into, maybe they don't have their private already like you did, but they have, they have the, uh, ambition to go fly. And they're like, how do I get, like, how do I get, I see all these young guys that are going to the local college with a 141 program. I see them right seating in that King air, that Pilatus, whatever it is. And so they're like trying to think, how do I get myself from here pumping gas to like burning gas? You know what I mean? So yeah. is there like, was the conversation that simple? Like, Hey, now, like I know you, so it's kind of like, I don't know where to go with that necessarily, but there are some people who may have more obstacles to it than you. Like you have the right demeanor, the right skill set, and all that type of thing. So you had a good foundation. Like they wanted you to be in that seat anyway, so they would have, um, they were ha- probably happy about that. But there are people trying to build those hours, get that time. Yeah, was yeah. it that simple of a conversation? Like, hey, how do I get from here to there? And they just said, hey, get your ratings, and we got a place for you. Yeah, so it was um, more along the lines of, hey, get your ratings. We will use you when we need you, um, not like we have a job, you know, full time lined uh, up for you. Uh, um, uh-huh. So this was just the occasional part time, you know, um, fill, you know, fill in type thing. Um, yeah. For me, it was a little easier uh, due to the fact I was working line service there. Uh, I had been there for a few years, so kind of had rubbing a shoulders. With- yeah, exactly. Networking, you know, yeah. it's all about networking. Um, so, uh, so, you know, I kind of, I had an in that way, but, um, you know, there was a lot of guys coming over from, uh, Kent, I believe, um, they, uh, you know, there's kind of a connection there, just, um, you know, local flight school type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. um, still there's plenty of guys that, you know, were outside of that, that, uh, right. got in. And so like you're, a, you're, you being there day in, day out, them seeing your work ethic and kind of right place, right time in you know, a small portion of that was, was the right place, right time. I mean, would you say that that is not a one-off? That's a repeatable, like, phenomenon, right? You can be a line guy, have some ratings in your pocket, and just do your best, and those opportunities will come? I mean, is it? am I simplifying it? Is that not possible? It seems to me no, like that I- is possible. I, I agree. I think it's totally possible. I think uh, anybody can do it. You know, it's just a matter of uh, getting out there and meeting people. And, you know, the way you put it, I think, was a simplified version of exactly how it works. You know, just it's it's not it's not a right place, right time. You know, you you can choose to put yourself in those situations. Mm. You can you can get out to that airport and, you know, whether you volunteer or, you know, I started out there. I did not get a full time job as line service. I started. Uh, I worked at a auto body shop detailing cars and there was an opening to do bags for uh, Allegiant Airlines used to fly out of there. And it was like two or three days a week of work, you know, eight hours a day. I mean, it was, there was no, it wasn't pay. You you were doing it to be around airplanes more. Yeah. Um, so I did that for uh, paying for the opera or you were working for the opportunities. Exactly. The money. Exactly. Yeah, that might have lasted a year throwing bags before I even got the opportunity to go to line service and be out there full time. So, okay, so like, so we've talked about line service kind of being a little bit of a gateway towards these type of opportunities. What if <laughs> COVID? What if you're a, what if you've gone through a flight school at 
X airport. And now there's an opening as a CFI. And like, okay, that kind of seems like, okay, I'm not going to make that much money. I'm going to make $35,000. I don't want to be a CFI. I want to go do something else. Like, it's like kind of frowned upon to be a CFI. Do you think for a similar scenario, if we were to kind of overlay the scenarios, the exact same scenario you're talking about, but you're a CFI, do you think, I mean, what advantage do you think, if any, would there have been for you to be a CFI in that situation? I mean, I know it's a very isolated situation, but like that, so I, I guess let me answer my question with, let me answer my own question and then get your take on it. I feel like people frown on the CFI, but I feel like although, yes, it, it might seem beneath you, but if you're putting in the hours at the airport and again you're networking rubbing shoulders with this with these people with these high performance turbo props whatever you don't know what's going to land in your lap you got a great opportunity from a line service perspective now i know you and your work ethic and just i know how you are and so i know they saw more than just line guy out of you is what i'm trying to say but i would like to think that if somebody had a cfi in their pocket now actively training they would have at least as good a shot with that opportunity as you would have. Would you, I mean, would you agree? Right. I would say, or, um, yeah, to some extent, you know, um, the CFI gets your, uh, foot on the ramp, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're out there, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders with the, with the big dogs and the, in the twins. Right. Um, right. you know, I think the line service perspective of it was a little bit, better uh that you know you're servicing their airplanes mm. uh, you're, you're out there more um you know I, and i'm not not going to cfi i uh i do not have my cfi i um had passed the writtens at one point with uh you know intentions of getting it and you know things did not work out with uh you know finishing stuff up i you yeah. know i was in the end of my career at that point right uh, right so it's just kind of you know it, that stepping stone didn't come for me. Um, I think a CFI is a great thing to have. And, uh, you know, at this point I, I wish I had it, you know, a little extra, you know, side hustle. So would you say though, like, so the scenario you're painting and I'm buying what you're selling dude, and I hadn't thought about this. That's what I love about this. Like I have to like talk my way through a situation before I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I got all the pieces now. So yeah. I'm, I'm buying what you're saying that you may actually have a leg up on, a CFI if there was a like a if you could parallel the scenario you actually had more face time with these guys right with with yeah. the, you know the yeah. the owner or operator of of that airplane yeah for sure um you know i i was seeing these guys day in day out type thing uh -huh. um you know in my scenario it was a little different because the company i worked for you know they had a um, maintenance shop out there they had a mm. small flight department that managed a few airplanes you know they um had the, the line service obviously and then they had the commercial airplane side um mm -hmm. you know so i think that was kind of a little bit of a leg up on on that specific scenario being that there was a flight department on the field um but again you could find those though, right? If you if you had like a trajectory in mind, you could go out and seek that. If you're like yeah. in a normal metropolitan semi metropolitan area, you can find those with the you know, with the ladder yeah. climb, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean there there's you know, there's small flight departments like that all over the place, you know. Um I still have a, a buddy out at Youngstown there that, you know, flies a, a turboprop twin. 
single pilot and he's constantly, you know, Hey, you know, anybody, you know, uh, on there, you know, looking for some right seat time. And, uh, you know, so those opportunities are there. You just, again, you have to network and, you know, uh, just be out there, you know, grinding and, and looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is, is kind of, I guess, knowing what you have in mind for your career path and, Having and I, I've said this before is like when you start and you want to go down this road of being a career or professional pilot, whether it be airlines or like what you and I are doing more corporate 135 flying, um, you need to find like a mentor and or surround yourself with a group of people that you can kind of crowdsource good judgment from, I guess, that can help you steer because there's so, there's so much information out there. And, like, if you're trying to get from point A to point B as quick as possible, man, you don't want to waste a lot of time, uh, in my opinion. Like, you don't want to go mow grass at an airport for five years before you get a chance to fuel airplanes and talk to a pilot. Like, yeah. I know I'm super, you know, uh, watering that down, but you don't want to spin right. your wheels too long. You need to have, like, direct access. And that's, why I guess, why I was trying to harp on that because that's actually a really great point that I never thought about. Like, you probably have better chances. You have more face time as a line guy and they can see your work ethic. They can get a good read on like your intelligence level, your attention yeah, detail, yeah. all that stuff as a line guy. They're not going to get that as a CFI. They're not flying with you. They may right. see you around and overhear some stuff and that might be great, but you're probably not yeah. going to get the call unless they're yeah. like super desperate. But right. Yeah. They're seeing, you know, customer service, you know, that's a big thing in our industry is, you know, how yeah. you deal with the customer and, and treat them and stuff. And, uh, you know, as a line guy, I mean, you're, you're aware when we get there, who's the first guy you see at the door, you know, yeah. it's, it's the line guy, you know, and right. they can make or break your visit for sure. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, I, I, I would say, you know, a line guy does have a leg up on, on a CFI, um, just simply based off of that actual conversation you have versus being at the airport, you know? The CFI is in the airplane with the student, and uh, the line guy's there, you know, servicing that twin. Right. So from the time that you went on, uh, so you got your, um, you got that right seat opportunity that King Air, and then when what I guess from a time frame, how long was it before you got a PIC opportunity in a turbine turboprop airplane? Um, that was a couple years. Um. So I had finished up A&P school. I probably, um, you know, had got my ratings maybe a year, maybe a little under a year. Um, you know, by the time I got my commercial multi and started doing right seat in the King Air. Mm -hmm. So when I finished up um, A&P school, I you know went to the flight department and and just told them, you know, hey, you know, I know we're super busy here. You guys are using me all the time, and I'm kind of. Uh, you know, at a fork in the road here, do I pursue this A&P and start looking for a job as a mechanic full-time? Or, you know, it, it seems like we have a need here for a full-time uh, co-pilot. And uh, so they, you know, discussed it and, and said, yeah, let's bring you on full-time as a co-pilot. Because at that point, they had only hired captains uh, full-time and then, um, you know, never really hired uh, a right seat, you know, co-pilots for uh you know, for any of the stuff, they always use the the outside guy, the you know contract co-pilot, because it was more or less a single pilot operation that you know they had a right seat guy, you know, kind of kind of for looks, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, so yeah, so that was, uh, you know, I got that opportunity, started that full time, probably about a year and a half into it. Uh, I jumped ship, uh, one of the aircraft that we managed there. Uh, they decided the owners wanted to uh, manage it on their own and have their own flight department. Um, so I saw that opportunity. Um, it seemed like a good one at the time. So I jumped ship, uh, went over there uh, full time and then uh, worked for them for about one year uh, before they upgraded me to PIC. So probably two and a half years from my first, uh, you know, full time uh, co-pilot SIC, however you want to look at it. Uh, That's job. fast. That's and, fast. And, uh, two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. It's really for fast. sure. When so, you, if you were to put that into like context of hours, do you have a guess, a rough guess? Yeah, I was uh, just above ATP mints. I think I was okay. about seventeen, eighteen hundred hours. Okay. Um, okay. So we were flying a King Air three hundred and fifty. So I had had you know in that two and a half years, really three, three and a half, um, because of the fill in time. You know, I had prior to the full time. Yeah. Right. Um, so like three years of King Air time, you know, so I probably had four or 500 hours in the 350 by that, you know, by the time I was going through, okay. uh, type rating school. Gotcha. So, yeah, man, that's awesome. So your first, so your first turbine PIC job was the Lear 45. You weren't PIC uh, in the King Air. Oh, yeah, yeah, King King Air. Air. yeah. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. So you started right seat in the King Air two and a half, three and a half years later, PIC in the King Air. Yep. Okay. So, um, man, King Air 350s are another the 360. Did you know that? It's a 360. You know, we were just talking about that today. Uh, yeah. It, and uh, I won't go off the, the deep end here, but we were talking about the winglets. Yeah. Do you yeah. have those movable winglets on that thing or is that something different <laughs> or? I don't know. Movable winglets. Okay. Dynamic winglets. Is that what they I, are? No, I've never heard of I just made that up. I've never but heard citations. of Citations. You never saw it on those on site like CJs? No. It's like an aftermarket thing and they move okay. with the ailerons or something. Somehow they move and do some some voodoo magic out there, I guess. I don't know. But I, That's I won't you go saying this or you've heard that? No, no, I know that that they're uh, they're out there. Um, it's a thing. It's it really is a thing. I don't I don't know much about them. I I had watched a, a video once and it was about a crash and and uh, on one of these citations and it, the winglets malfunctioned. Um, so somehow tied into the ailerons, guy lost control. I I I'll look I don't it up. Know we'll talk say, about it. Oh, we'll, we'll I I cannot it. wait. I'm gonna make a note of it right now because I've never heard All such right. thing. I haven't noticed anything like any like um secondary control surface like you know you would think you'd see that very easily yeah with all yeah. the winglets we see but yeah so is the sonata is the uh, consensus that the king air 360 does not have the movable winglets yeah i i don't remember okay. <laughs> i would say it probably does not <laughs> probably does not would yeah i would agree with you um wow wow yeah but um and they have a, a king air 360 er that thing does like twenty five hundred nautical miles. I That's insanity. That long? No, <laughs> we can't. It's hard to sit fifteen a thousand miles in the Lear forties for sure. For and sure. now you're going slower, and you're going basically twice as far, more than twice as far. Mind boggling. For sure. Yeah. No thanks. I mean, it's great. I think it's great to have the uh, capability, but you know, no thanks. 
I guess if you want to look at it, though, you can top off, go 1,200 miles one way, and then 1,200 miles back. Maybe that's the way to look at it. There you go. Cost that's still a lot. Yeah. That's still a lot of sitting, you know, for going 300 knots. But right. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the play. You can go yeah. round trip without having to buy gas tanker. Yeah. I don't know. So then, so yeah. Um, well, like so. Th- okay. So eventually, just so for the listeners, um, you then went to go on and fly a Lear forty-five. Yeah, so I was typed in the King Air uh, in June of... Uh, and the 350 the is the only that, one that needs typed, right? Correct. Uh, yeah, single no pilot type. Right. Cause of the, yeah, it's a it's a 15, 15 one, I believe, somewhere in there. It's above okay. that 12.5 number. Gotcha. Um, okay. That you need, so 12,500 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so I flew that uh, one year. It was uh, pretty much one year to the day. I got my King Air PIC single pilot type rating. In, in June, and then June of the following year, uh, the, the company had bought a Lear 45, and I was off to Lear 45 school, Dallas, okay. Texas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so then, so you flew the Lear 45, now you're on to the Lear 40, and I mean, any other fillers? Go ahead. I mean, fill fill in. I don't want to skip skip too much, but. Yeah, no, career-wise, yeah, that's it. Um, A&P, A&P. What are you doing with the A&P? What was the you goal? Know, what was the goal with the A&P? Was that just like keep all the doors open? Yeah, so uh I had I was doing uh college uh at the local, you know, uh branch college here. Uh, I thought, well, I'll just get a, ba- a business degree of some sort uh from my line service days meeting a couple of these guys, you know, flying some 91 uh, corporate stuff. I was like, Hey, you know, what's, what's your move? You know, what would you say to get that? And, and a lot of them said, you know, have a backup plan. You know, this thing might not always work out. So, you know, get a degree of some sort, you know, that you can use as a backup. So I said, okay. So I started doing the, um, the college stuff. And then, um, you know, again, I'm just not a studious person, you know, to, to go and sit and listen to lectures and stuff. And my, uh, you know, late teens, early twenties. It just wasn't for me. Right. Like, uh, like a lot of people have. Right. So, um, so then I started looking into this, uh, this, uh, PIA school out here. Uh, my mom works at our local high school in the, in the guidance uh, department. So, you know, they have some interaction, um, PIA, you know, they'll go around and do presentations for local schools and whatnot. Yeah. Like recruitment um, type deal. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. of, a, yeah. They have the recruiter, um, guy that comes around. So I was kind of interested in that. And, um, and at the time, uh, I had gotten laid off from line service. This was in the like 08, 09, uh, oh, yeah. uh downturn in the economy there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, huh. so I got yeah, laid off. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, um, so I got laid off and, uh, was kind of hanging out with my time. And, um, there's a, there's a good story in there too, of, uh, where I was laid off and I bought a J three cub, uh, you know, with was using my unemployment checks to fund my J three cub, but you know, so, uh, well, people so were J- using their unemployment checks to fund other like vices. So why not yeah. get an airplane out of it, build some time. Might right? as well. All that Might stuff. as well. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come yeah. to, I'll put a note down. We obviously yeah, yeah. talk about that all day long. <laughs> right. 
Um, so anyway, so my mom had heard a few things where you could go down to, um, and I, I can't think of the, the department name now, but it was uh, kind of like a job and family services uh, mm-hmm. thing. And, um, and they were helping you with, you know, paying for school. So, uh, so I went down and applied to get, you know, a grant to go to the PIA school. And um, ultimately, around the same time uh, I got approved for the grant, I had got hired back uh, at line service. So I was laid off for pretty much a year. Um, told the grant people, you know, hey, I'm, you know, got hired back at my job. Uh, you know, I'm going to go back. So I don't know if this affects anything. And they said, no, it was good. And uh, I got the whole uh, PIA uh, school paid for uh, through a grant. So, uh, so I got a free A and P. Um, That's awesome. Know, put the time in. Yeah. yeah. So um, now you just need your IA though. You know, uh, just before COVID hit, I was uh, so my ninety-one job. We used to do a lot of sitting, and uh, and Tampa, Florida was one of the places. And we actually had a a fairly long sit down there. And uh, I was really considering going through like a crash course A and P. I'm sorry, IA. Um, you know, course down there. So, uh, so we'll see. That's, it's on the bucket list for sure. Well, I can see you getting that one day. I don't see you not getting that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm an experimental fan. Uh, we've talked about that. So yeah. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> but just no a required. Well, yeah, no AMP required either. I just feel like It's just I don't know. Just rounds out, rounds out the uh, the resume. You know what I mean? Like I don't know yeah. how much more work it is to get that versus the A and P, but it seems to me the hard work is over. Yeah, so you have to have your A and P for a minimum of two years before you can apply to get an IA. Okay, um, I'm there. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, but uh, that's kind of the that's the prerequisite. And don't you have to be signed off by another IA and stuff, or recommended by another IA? Isn't there something? There might be something like I don't, I don't know. I, I, again, I, don't I haven't looked at it for a few years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if it's not like right on the horizon, like I should know this because I'm about to do it. It's not one of those things. Right. I know that. Right. <clears throat> it yeah. just seemed like I don't know. I yeah. So yeah. So the A and P, A and P, and then we're forty five. Now we're flying the forties. We got four forties now at work. So we're we're flying a lot. Um, I guess. So we've rounded out basically your resume in, I guess, kind of what has, uh, how we've met, how we've come together. You've got your AMP, yeah. and so you uh, went out the the soup there, the cub. So you got the J three somewhere in there. We're big advocates this tailwheel on here. Scott doesn't sure. he doesn't he doesn't really care. He's pretty nonchalant, but um, he's got a one fifty. And he would he would go fly tailwheel like he would own a J three, but the price raise all about the money. Rob yeah. has some tailwheel experience. He's got a C plus commercial seaplane. He was banner towing for a while, so he's got some experience. Some really modified Cubs, Super Cubs, uh, nice and, uh, Super Cruisers. So we he can he can talk the talk. So you had a J three and you had a Super Cruiser at one point, a PA twelve, right? Correct. Where were you at in your hours when you got the J3? Ooh. Or, or ratings? Maybe not hours necessarily, but where were you in your ratings when you got the J3? I want, I want to say um, 
I don't know if I had just passed my commercial or it was uh, somewhere around that time. Oh, around that time. How um, would you say that that, so up to then, you had flown what airplanes? So I had flown, uh, I had a bunch of 172 time. Um, okay. I got my private in a 150. And then um, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, 172s, 150s. Um, there was so a uh, local guy at the airport there uh, had a, uh, super, super cub PA 18, uh, nice. super cub. I loved it. You know, um, I think he was on his like third one, uh, from when I had kind of known him. Um, but man had the big belly pod on it, uh, 31s, oh, yes. uh, baby bush wheel, tail wheel. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of it, but it was, the, it was red, you know, red with the white stripe down the side, you know, um, you mean it was white with the red stripe? No, no, the opposite. The white, but at the same yeah, scheme, all red. just different. Yeah, yeah. Like inverted. Inverted, correct. Interesting. Yeah. It'd be hard to, that sounds like a lot of red. It's all red. <laughs> it's a lot of red. I'm not You knew that, it was him. You, you could look yeah. up. You knew it was him. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it stands out. It stands out, I guess, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's cool. So that that is what kind of got you hooked in the like the Cub, the Super Cub. Yeah. So, um, so I learned at a real, you know, real small, tiny airport. Um, we, it was a three thousand foot strip, three thousand by I think thirty. Um, okay. Very narrow. Okay. Um, and then yeah, so just a lot of grassroots flying. You know, that, now that's uh, narrow, but that's not short field, even to the other guys, even to Rob and Scott. That's not short. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I didn't mean short field, but I mentioned narrow field. So. Yeah. Narrow for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so just being around there all the time, um, you know, seeing all that cool stuff, uh, champs coming in all the time, Taylor uh -huh. crafts, you yep. know, BC 12s. Yep. There was a, um, uh, we talked about this, the DCO 65, um, the, the L2 grasshopper Taylor yep. craft. Yeah. Yep. So there's one of those floating around. Um, so you just had a ton of champs and cubs of tailwheel, just like every time, everywhere you look around, every landing uh, that you saw in your face. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. obviously that's like the romance of flying, right? That's like what a lot of people picture, even though they go to their Cirrus in the hangar. Yeah. And they think yeah. about like grassroots flying. Everybody thinks of a J three or something like that, you know, exactly. Taylor craft Cessna 140. Um, so that got you hooked on the tailwheel thing, or did did it get you hooked in an, in a sense on tailwheel, or you wanted that experience, and to get that experience, you had to get a tailwheel? Like, how did do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you wanted a cub, but since cubs don't come nose gear, you had to get a yeah. tailwheel. You know what yeah. I'm saying? No, um, yeah, no, you it wanted wasn't a like, tailwheel. Yeah. For yeah. sure, one of the tail wheel. It just it's like you stick know. shift automatic type exactly. concept. Yeah, yeah, yep. right. Yep. It's yep. it's so grassroots. It's so original. Purist. You know. Yes, very pure. You know, that's yeah. that is the OG of airplanes. That's if right. You will. Speaking my <laughs> language, you know that. See, this is so. good. So, yeah, now we're getting like to like how you and I talk at work, and I knew right. So you got the you got that. You knew what you wanted. You knew that like. Even if you could get the t the the tricycle gear version, you're gonna yeah. get tailwheel. Oh yeah, for you sure. Want, right, that's awesome. Got to be awesome. tailwheel. And so you had done one seventy twos, one fifties up to that point. 
like yeah. all the landomatics i like to call them right you, know, you can just right. like get close close your eyes throttle close slowly flare and you're not going to damage the airplane as yeah. long as you keep it on the runway going straight yeah. you're not going to hurt the airplane so yeah <clears throat> that's a radical departure from those and you know most of, like most of my early flying was like a warrior you know for the most yeah. part yeah i had a little well a fair amount of exposure in the j3 early on but Okay. Nothing that really transferred to like my private pilot certificate. That was more like we have instructors sitting around, we have airplanes sitting around. You need to go fly the warrior. Go get it. So that's what we yeah. did. And I don't I mean, I don't know how much detriment it had on my overall like um skill set, but yeah, story for another day. Or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But I know that the warrior, obviously, and I know the 172, I have a fair amount of time in the 172. It's not, not even comparable. The skill set is not even, they're like from different planets. When you go from such a training focused, easy to fly airplane, like a 150 or 172 to a J3. Yeah. How, when you first did your first, like whatever lesson, your, your first lap around the pattern in your J3. Or a tail wheel. No, let's go to your J3. Let's yeah. go to your J3. How was that experience like? So you're transitioning. So I'm trying to make it pertinent, you know, maybe to, to somebody, you know, exploring this option. Yeah. How how was that experience transitioning tricycle gear to conventional tail wheel gear? Well, so so I got my tail wheel prior to obviously getting a J3. Um, That's smart. So, right. So I decided to, uh, decided I wanted to take aerobatic lessons. So I just had my private at this time. Um, okay. So there was, you know, uh, airport, Salem airport. They used to have a great, um, tailwheel and aerobatic, uh, course courses down there. Um, so I went down, uh, decided, you know, want to do some aerobatic lessons, uh, and they offered the tailwheel training, you know, tailwheel, uh, endorsement. So, um, so I wanted to get that. You know, it was like just another, you know, uh, feather in your cap type deal. I had a high performance sign off. I had a, a complex uh, endorsement. Get all those you know. endorsements. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, you know. So you, so well, you add, at that point um, in time, at that point in time, it's like, oh, I got all these endorsements. You know, yeah, and now we're yeah. like collecting type ratings. So it's like whatever. Yeah. But at the, the next, time. Next step. At the right. time, yeah, that was important. Yeah. So uh, so I did it in a Citabria. Um I, I think a 115 horse Tabria, oh. you know, off the, off the grass there. Um, yep. so and those did didn't that. have flaps, correct? Correct. No flaps. Most people um, think Satabrias all have flaps, but the lower horsepower ones don't. Okay. Okay. I, I did not know the, the, uh, bigger ones do like a yeah. 150. Well, I think, I think you jump. I can't be sure, but I think you go the kind of, well, it depends on the year. But I want to say you go from the 115 up into the 160. Then okay. after that, you basically go to the decathlon, super decathlon, yeah. which again doesn't have flaps. But the lower horsepower uh, Stabris, like you're saying, don't have flaps, which most people think they do. Yeah. But that's only the higher horsepower Stabris that do. Okay. So yeah, so I went uh, Stabri like seven hours in that thing. Picked How did up my you like that? How was that? Um, cool. You know, uh, so prior go, to that, let's fast forward real quick. Yeah. So you've owned a J three, you have a lot of tailwheel time. You then went on and got a PA 12 and knowing what you know now, would you go buy a Satabria 
and be and be oh. like happy with it. You know me, man. I'm happy with any airplane. Well, <laughs> if it flies, true. you know, I, I just love it. I, you know, love all things aviation. So um, I would be happy to own anything. So okay, okay. I know. I no. I would rather you know me. I'd rather build like a scenario to like kind of <laughs> with qualifiers, but yeah, man, like okay, you have another PA twelve super cruiser, a little bushed out. So you got thirty ones bore prop and a few odds and ends, but mostly pretty un unmolested, and a stock one fifteen horse Satabria. Which one would you buy? Same price. Ooh. Bushed out airplane. I just love that bush flying uh, stuff. You know, okay. I like the off airport. Uh, the off airport thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I know I'm you can do you. that in a Satabria, right? I mean, uh, you know, you can put a little yeah, bit bigger tires on there and bigger tires. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Scout, right? You put right. put the big big tires on a Scout. You know, there you go. Yeah. Um, and they do have a lot of space in them, by comparison. Yeah, I like the tandem. You know, that's my big thing. But there's uh, a lot more I elbow room. at a tail wheel. In the Satabria, there's a and, lot of elbow room. Versus what? Not the not like, the PA twelve. Well, I've never flown a PA twelve. That's a good point. But all the super oh, cubs. That's I a, mean, there's a yeah. huge amount of room over a super cub. Well, PA twelve is a three place, right? So well, yeah, but I, the I'm, bench well, I'm assuming seat, you're two sitting. People. So I guess how does that bench seat in the back translate to fuselage width at the pilot seat? I have it's no. It's a little bit wider. Oh, yeah, okay. it's a little bit. Yeah, you got you got some good good elbow space, really? Satabria style elbow space. Really? You're not bumping the wall. It's very wide. Interesting, because yeah. that's a common yeah. model. Like a lot of super cubs, people do like the wide body when they rebuild them. They'll do a wide right. body super cub because it's tight. I mean, it's J three tight. Yeah, which is no PA twelve is not. Yeah, really yeah. didn't know yeah. that. Would have never. Yeah, would've... hopped in that thing and man, going from a J three to a PA twelve. Yeah. Very wide. Interesting. Love yeah. it. God, I love this yeah. conversation. Okay, but typically, from a lot of people, they do have exposure to a J3. J3s are pretty narrow, not built for 21st century American waistlines. That's for sure. <laughs> not at all. But it's a Tabria, Champ, that whole lineage, they all seem, they were like ahead of their time. I mean, there's tons of room. And so now we're saying the PA-12 yeah. has similar amounts of room. Now, in the back... Say that question again. I talked over you a little bit, and I apologize. The back seat on the PA twelve. Yeah, it's a it's a two place back seat is what they're licensed for. They're you know on the type certificate they are a three place airplane, so it has a a bench back seat, which is so cool. Or tons of room if you're by yourself, right? Right, right. Wow, that's yeah. No, I I didn't know I didn't know there was that kind of width difference in the PA twelve. Never sat in one. I've only seen uh-huh. a couple up close. So wish I still had it. Wish I, I still had it. Believe me, I wish I wish you did too. <laughs> but you're on to you're on to better things though. So that's right. You are okay. So we've covered the. So you did your uh, tailwheel endorsement in a Satabria. Satabria did some aerobatic lessons in a Super Decathlon, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then moved on to pretty much buying my J3 shortly okay. after those. So yeah. it wasn't like, oh, I just finished a lesson in the 172. I have no tailwheel time. I just seen them and they look cool. Let me go get yeah. the duel in my J3 I just bought. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't even think I got duel in that thing. It was pretty much a <laughs> – I had a buddy fly it over so the 
the guy I bought it from, I found it uh, golfing. It was kept at a golf course and uh, he had an open storage building in the back of the golf course. And this J3 cub used to always stick out there. So, uh, so I called the guy up one day and I was like, Hey, you, uh, you want to sell that thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I was like, all right, well, I'm in the market, you know, what do you want for it? And, um, and it kind of, well, I I backed that up. So I was laid off at the time I was 21 years old. Uh, and, uh, there was a guy out at the airport, my, uh, I still, you know, good friends to this day. And, and he says, Hey, I got this perfect plan for you. And now you might laugh about this because I, I laid this plan on you like a couple months ago, <laughs> but uh, he's like, I got this perfect plan for you. You buy a J3 Cub and then you put it as a club airplane and you sell memberships, but you keep a membership for yourself so it doesn't cost anything. And then those guys are going to go out there and people don't know how to fly tailwheel. So they're going to ball up the airplane and then you buy it back from the insurance for pennies on the dollar and rebuild it. Does this sound familiar, right? <laughs> rebuild this airplane yeah. and, uh, and keep it for yourself. And you got a cheap, you know, J3 that, you know, is all built to your specs. And I was like, man, that's a great idea. So I, I go to my dad with this idea, sell it to him. He's, he's all about it. So we get the, we go buy this airplane, we get it back to the hangar and, you know, get it all cleaned up and whatnot. And, he starts asking me, so when are you going to sell memberships? And I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to do that now. It's This is too nice of an airplane. We can't sell memberships. And he's like, well, what are you going to do with it? I was like, well, i just keep it and fly it ourselves. And then he, so he let me keep it. And and then I started using my unemployment checks. I was getting to pay him. You know, he was my uh, bank for say. <laughs> wow. Wow, so, man. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> Insane. Insane. Uh, so, all right. So you've done the J3, get into a PA-12. Talk a little bit about the PA-12. Kind of a kind of a super cub of sorts. I mean, it'll never be a super cub. Oh, it People, was a super cub. No. It was a super cub. Come on. I, well, you did all the mods, but like angle yeah. of incidence is not – you can't get the angle of incidence on a PA-12 to be what a super cub is. Why not? Six inches extended gear. Angle of incidence. So it's, yeah, oh, you're changing oh, your angle of attack. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 You're changing your angle of attack with that. But if somebody goes and does that six inch extended gear or whatever on a super cub, it will always be better. Well, yeah. Yeah. But that's why super cruiser a PA twelve is what it is. It did a hundred miles an hour with a hundred and eight horsepower. What took a super cub a hundred and fifty horsepower to barely be able to do. Yeah. And that yeah. was only in the Piper propaganda that they said they could, you know, do, you know, 115 miles an hour or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was a modded out PA 12. So 150 horse spore prop had flaps on it. It had super cup gear with the, um, so, uh, original PA 12 had the internal bungees. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was internal, uh, the, Up under um, the floorboards and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So this had the, uh, external bungees, PA 18 gear. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the, uh, the PA 12s have the internal, uh, flying wires. They're up inside the wings, you know, where a, uh, a PA 18 super cub has the, uh, the external, yeah. that go up the lift struts. Yeah. Um, so these are internal on the PA 12. Um, Every, yeah. Make, everything make about the clean. P- yeah, right. Everything about the PA twelve, they just kind of tweaked it to make it like, okay, let's go to make it go as fast as we can with as little horsepower as possible. We'll add yeah. a another seat, and they, I mean, they, it's 
a very capable airplane for the time. Yeah. 1946. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. Um, it, it just still, still boggles my mind. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think from a, if you do all the same mods to a Super Cub, PA 12 is never going to be able to keep up. Yeah. There's yeah. a built in, there's just built in, unless you somehow change the angle of in- incidents that that wing is mounted to the fuselage. I just don't think you're going to be able to catch. I used to know those numbers, but there are yeah. several, de- several degrees difference because it's more of a cruiser. We want to go 150 miles an hour with 108 horsepower. And yeah. That's, that's just what it was all about. So <clears throat> now, oh, one thing I want to ask you about. Did you, see, did you hear about the, um, um, that East China Airlines accident? We just talked about it today a little bit. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Anything? Do you have any, any, you know, I, you you know, ideas were put in my head of, you know, terrorism. Ah. So that's what I heard. Ah. Okay. Descend at 31,000 feet per minute. Is that what you heard? Yeah. 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 I heard over 30,000 is what I heard, but yeah, that's close enough. I mean, that's, that's, you know, throttles, firewalled. Thrust levers firewalled, you know, nose at the ground. I mean, and I heard there was a brief, a brief level off in actual climb for a few seconds. Wow. And then it resumed. It's a struggle, struggle in the cockpit. That's, that, that's kind of what I'm reading. But I don't know. Can you say terrorism? What if it's just one pilot over the other? He's having a bad day. His wife left and cheated on him. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. No, that happens. It, 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 it's um, sad to think about, but it happens. You know? Totally. Well, isn't that kind of Easy. something similar that happened with that um that Atlas flight a few years ago down by Houston? Remember that? <clears throat> oh, I, no, I never heard this. I know exactly. It was the uh, Prime Air, that Prime Air flight. Well, yeah, it was an Atlas. Or, I mean, it was, it was a Prime Air um, uh, yeah. livery. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think did not. So, no. I think that was a – I thought I had heard. I'd have to go back and look, but I thought I had heard that was a one pilot fighting the other kind of pilot situation. I'm not wow. sure, though. I'd have to go back. But that's kind of always the thing, like, man, who's having a bad day? Right. And that's one thing. Like, hope it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, hope it's not that bad. I mean, Jesus, dude, 132 yeah. people or whatever. That's yeah, crazy. Sad. So, yeah. But, like, that's one thing that I always think about, like, when you're – um. Like for us, practically speaking, you know, we have some from a transport category and commercial operations standpoint, you know, you're you're taxing across an active runway or a runway, whatever I um, or you're taxing onto, you know, getting ready for takeoff. You're in position and we're lighting the airplane up. Right. And like I always think like <clears throat> like it's so easy, like at the bigger airports that we go to routinely, you just kind of like do what they say. You don't clear final. Right. You know what I mean, you're tur- making that maybe a left turn. Like I'm picturing Cleveland. You're making a left turn on a two four left. You don't clear the approach. And normally right. they're landing two four right, anyways. But yeah. I al- I always try to think you don't know who's having a bad day. That dude in tower, like they're doing more and more times. They're like, oh, do you want do you want two four left for landing? And it's like, yeah. is this one of those times? Is this one yeah, of those we times? Had, we had it today. <laughs> what what happened? If the six, uh, you know, clear six left, uh, clear to land or whatever. And, you know, Hey, you want six, right? Sure. We'll take six, right. You know, and there's yeah. a, you know, RJ of some sort taxiing out to six, right. 
you know, he could have, he could have lined him up to wait, you know, 100%. forgot he forgot he sent us over there. And yeah, yeah. Everybody can have bad else. days. I mean, you know, you know me, uh-huh. I have them all the time, you know, it's just like, no, I mean, you just, it just happens. And <clears throat> you, you need to be, we are hopefully all taught like early on, like good practices. And there's a reason for a lot of these regulations and a lot of these SOPs that, you know, maybe your flight school has uh, adopted or your company has adopted in our case. There's a reason for those. And I don't want to say they're written in blood because that sounds so dramatic, but the regs, a lot of those are SOPs. It's just like, man, somebody got some serious heartache for one reason or another. That's why we've developed SOPs for these things. And like, that's just so simple. You do it when you're turning out of your driveway in your car. Why are you not going to do it in an airplane? Yeah. Both ways, just like you're crossing a street, you know? Yeah. I try and make that in my, in my scan, you know, try and try and announce finals clear. Yeah. Yeah. Clear for takeoff. Hey, six left. There it is. Finals clear, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I catch myself sometimes like, it's like, and well, you know, you, most time for that one, we're on the wrong side of the airplane to even clear. We're on the left side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like we. I mean, sh- should we? Like, is that over the top? Yeah. Like, well, you know, we have the good habit of uh, pulling up the TCAS. You know, having it on the MFT. You know, some people that helps. Do. So I love it. I love. I, it. I mean, it's up for me every time now. I, th- I think. Well, it's it should a good be because then thing. it's like okay, I'm. You know, somebody wants to like. Are they gonna are they gonna clear us? Are they not gonna clear us? So I want to go from ground to tower and preload departure and all that stuff. It's like that is so much situational awareness. Like you look out on final, you might not see anybody. TCAS right. will tell you. You know, put it yeah. on that inner range, TCAS will tell you if somebody's on final. Exactly. And then I know not to even make a fool out of myself by calling and saying, Hey, we're ready for departure, two four left. Yeah. You know? And then yeah. they say, Oh, hold short for landing traffic. It's like, oh shit. There it is. I yeah. see it on TCAS Whoops. right there. Yeah. <laughs> I should have waited like 0. 0.3 more seconds and I would have, you know, yeah. not said something stupid. Right. I feel yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, give him a call. All right. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. And, well, and I think in the aim, it says that turbojet aircraft are assumed to be ready when they reach the end of the runway. We don't have to do a run up. Not like we're doing a mag check. Right. Right. Nothing what pisses are you me off. Yeah. What are you, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, so no, I mean, nothing pisses me off more than like they like I know that that is what they know, but we how many times uh-huh. like, do you have to let them know? Yeah, like like it's a good enough to look that up. I like that? that. I gotta look that up. I did not know that turbojet aircraft are expected to be ready. It's yeah, well, they're. I think it's assumed to be ready. Or, yeah, yeah. It's like I don't nice. know if it's in the pilot pilot controller glossary or whatever it is. Yeah. There, I know that's one of the things. Like you know, you're, you're not supposed in a turbojet airplane. You're not supposed to have to call them. They're they are expecting you to be ready. You're assumed to be ready when you reach the end of the runway. So, okay. I, hell, I don't know. Yeah, it did take me a second to go find it. I would. I actually got the work iPad right here, but I don't. I wouldn't even know where to start to be honest with you. But even still, nice. How often do you? And I mean, even if that wasn't in the aim, the controllers ought to know it. They they see airline operations right. all day long. They know that we yeah. don't have to wait. We know that yeah. they have, we have nothing to do. But, yeah, whatever. 
Oh man, where to go from here? I gotta look up dynamic wing. I wrote dynamic. I just made that shit up. I have no idea if that I've, sounds really familiar. Honestly, uh, it might I'd, be the name. I'd be that would blow my mind if that's true because I've never a, yeah. heard term in my life. Oh yeah, beer or something for that one, man. You pull that one out. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll have to put something once we post this. I'll have to put this in the in the chat. So or yeah. in the podcast or the post chat thing. I don't hell, I don't know. Um man, I'm in beer number six, right? I just cracked beer number six. So um man, man, what else we got? Um so you've been around the block. So yeah, so uh I think we're starting to talk about the A and P. Um mm. you know, so I I um you know never ended up using my AMP for anything uh you know, work related as far as like did it for a living. Um, but, uh, I got hooked up one day from my IA friend that, uh, did the inspection for my J three cub. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had another friend that had just got a, uh, Cessna 206 with the G 1000 in it. And he, um, he told him that, you know, I, I had some G 1000 experience from uh previous King Arrow was flying and, you know, gave him my number and said, you know, give him a call. He, this guy needed some help with his, uh, you know, learning the, the, um, G 1000. So, uh, long story short, uh, you know, created a friendship there. Um, and, uh, this guy turns out we have some good common interest. He, uh, he used to have a 182. Uh, he has this, uh, 206. Um, he had a clip wing J three with the 85 horse. He had a long wing J three, um, Still has the long wing, still has the 206, uh, long wing J3 with the um, 65 horse, and then uh, recently acquired a um, carbon cub project and uh, and a flying carbon cub. So uh, so I rolled my uh, AMP into being able to use that. And so that's something. So if you were like took like, oh, I'm all about the experimental life. I can do so much more and have such a cooler airplane. That would have. Although it wouldn't stop you from building the carbon cub that you're building, it may have stopped you from having the connections that you've made, right? Yeah, yeah. So, the, so the, I want to back up, though. I, I do want to talk about that, but I want to back up. Yeah, have, yeah. You flown, have you flown a 182? If I flew his once, maybe, but I would say I don't remember it. So you, let's take it from the top, though, in the Cessna family. You've flown the 150. The 172, probably multiple models of the 172, a couple different models, maybe. Yeah, probably like a later, like a H model or something in there. I don't, Um, I don't know my Cessnas. Yeah, yeah, Uh, the 160 Lycoming one. Yeah, um, okay. I flew one of those. Um, I've flown in the uh, the earlier with the O300 Continental. Mm, Continental, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Flew an early one with the O360 upgrade uh, in the. You know, oh. It was an O300 Continental. Had a prop strike. Put a brand new Lycoming O360 in it. That's what I had most of my beginning yes. time in. And Talk about I, a rocket ship. <laughs> that's an airplane to own. That's an airplane yes. to own because those are the lightest airframes with the yep. most amount of power. Exactly. That's an airplane to own. Yeah. Yeah. Four full-grown men. You know, two hundred thirty. It's plus almost pounds. A, It's probably the same like, power to weight ratio as a, as a one eighty two. Probably. Yeah. And probably very comparable. Yeah, you put the right prop on it. That thing ought to pull a damn tree out of the ground. Just put a rope to it. 
So uh, one of my, I think it was like my second biennial or something like that. Uh, I'm with my Those original are flight reviews. Those are flight oh, they, reviews. They so. changed now. Did they change? Yeah, they're called flight or reviews. Was it, was it biennial Since back like, then? Though? Back when? What year is this? They've been 2010. Definitely flight reviews. Oh. All the old timers still call. He's an old timer. Robin Scott still call them biennials. Good, but I think Robin they do Scott control me. No, we're all, I'm just going to call it a biennial still too. Um, so it's on my biennial and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, and it's my original instructor that gave me my private. And okay. he said, uh, he said, okay, you know, power, you know, engine out, where are you going to land? So, you know, pulls the power on me. And then, uh, so we're looking around and there's a old grass strip, uh, by the turnpike, you know, east west type kind of deal. And uh I'm like, you know, uh, I would land in this field over here. He's like, what about this old grass strip over here? I was like, oh yeah, that's a good spot too. <laughs> so so he's <laughs> like, okay, dead stick it in there. So so we go and we dead stick this 172 beautiful airplane, dead stick it into this, you know, old grass strip. I'm not lying, the grass was every bit of two or three feet tall. So we land in this two or three foot tall grass, taxi up to some machine shop. He, and he happened to know the guy that was working there. And then, uh, yeah, we had to take off out of that. And uh, holy smokes, <laughs> that was, yeah, we got out of there. But, uh, man, it was sketchy for sure. But uh, talk about pulling a, pulling a tree out of the ground. Yeah. We pulled some grass out of that ground. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Yeah. Yeah. What are the goats so. going to eat now? So, so, yeah. Oh yeah. So, okay. So I'm, I'm built, I'm building a thing here. So you sure, have a 150, yeah. 172, multiple <clears throat> models of 172. You've flown all those. You've flown 206, obviously a lot. You have a lot of time in 206. So you're qualified yeah. to comment. Have you ever flown like a Piper Archer or a Piper Cherokee so I have- of any sort? I have quite a bit of time actually in a Piper Arrow, uh, Hershey oh. Bar Wing Arrow. Okay. So by comparison, would you would I be off base if I were to say that Cessnas in general fly like trucks compared to the Arrow? Man, what? Uh, what do you? Unless you so load like the up ride on, or I mean, like the handling, like. I'm by myself. I'm not loaded. Okay. By myself. I'm sitting up front and just whatever. Solo weight, maybe half tank or so by myself. Yeah. The handling characteristics. I think a 150 obviously handles great. So light in the control is joy to fly. It's no work at all. It's not any fun, but it's not any work either. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least out of the 206, you get a little bit of fun. If you had like a 180 horse and a 150, Maybe you could start to call it fun, but it's too yeah. easy to fly the 150. But I think I think Cessnas in general pretty much handle like trucks. Yeah, no, I would agree with that analysis. When you know handling wise, yeah, Piper. I mean that that arrow is just you know three fingers. You know that's right. Back that's and, it. I mean fingertips. You know, yep. Right. Yep. So um, yeah, man. You're, yeah, the 206. You're you know you're like yanking that thing off the ground. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> hands off the hands off the thrust levers, and man, you gotta yank it off the ground. So, right. yeah, but yeah, yeah, no that that arrow was uh, very light on the controls. What a what a great airplane! Absolutely, so well balanced. 
and and there's a year range difference, and I can't, I don't remember exactly what year. I want to say it was eighty one that they or eighty that they transitioned the batteries in like the um, Archer Warrior. I don't know anything about the Arrow really. From the underneath the back seat to the firewall. Okay, so the so, arrow that I flew was behind the rear firewall. Okay. Behind, like the baggage, behind the aft baggage. Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. Even better. The further yeah. aft, the more balance. You know, you got the constant yeah. prop up there with all the, the, the prop governor and a heavier prop in general. So that's a lot of weight to offset. And that, and I, so I did my CFI initial in an air, an old Hershey bar arrow, Hershey bar wing arrow as well. I don't remember what year it was, maybe like 68 or something. Um, and that, that flew, that flew well, very well. I don't remember any negative handling characteristics as far as like the on center maneuverable light controls. Um, and I love that. And I've always loved that about Pipers in general, the newer ones. So I have some time in like 99 Archer and they start getting really heavy, like kind of almost <laughs> like sticky, like made to handle that way. Cause like, I don't know, like if you think about like all ATP or Embry riddle, they want yeah. you to get used to that heavy to control. True. True. Like, Cause they know what you're going to go do with it. They know why right. you're there. You're going to go the next, your next job, the next airplane you fly is going to be a King air. Or a CRJ, you know what I mean? Right. So I get that, but like, man, from like our standpoint, like, okay, I fly for a living. I don't want to go get into something that flies like shit, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, the so I have a lot of time, like, in a two hundred six, and I hated it. I didn't. I didn't feel like it was balanced on landing. I felt like I had to come in artificially fast to have rudder authority or elevator authority to do a nice landing. If I was empty, like if I was yeah. light and I don't like that, you load them in Saratoga, like our Saratoga um, that I used to fly the islands in, they had a Saratoga 1700 pound empty weight. That's Saratoga. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's very light. Very light. Yeah. Like six place. Mind airplane. boggling. Yeah. Mind bogglingly yeah. light. And, yeah. even, and maybe it was 1900, but even if it was 1900, it was that's still insane. That was a long time ago, so I don't really remember. But it was so nose heavy. Like, you yeah. would have to, if you were, depending on what the wind was doing and stuff, you'd modify your technique. But a lot of times you'd come in only flaps 25 when you were solo, when you're empty, just you, to, so that you didn't land with the nose gear first or three pointed on. You know, that gear, that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, as a student pilot, they don't understand. That gear is not designed to take a forward load. That's a one-way, up and down, you know? Yeah. That nose nose gear. Well, I guess all the gear, really. But um, So we always had to modify shit really bad. Either come in fast, so you have the rudder or elevator authority. Okay. To keep that nose, I'm kind of playing well above stall speed. Yeah. Or you're gonna hit all three at once. That's how I always felt about the two oh six. And I just never liked that. I just never I never liked that type of thing. But what are you gonna do when you have a utility airplane that has a bunch of seats behind you? Right. You know, you're gonna have some trade offs, I guess. But you know, this, Scott, Rob, they're you know, they fly in the one fifty a lot and it's so balanced. You know, you're right in yeah, line with the right. center of gravity. You can't get it out of center of gravity really unless you're putting lead bricks in the back. Sure. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so okay, I just want to get your stance on whether it flies like a truck or not. So so this individual, you've through your AMP, you've kind of gotten connected with your IA buddy, and now what do you so how are you utilizing your AMP now? Yeah, so it's been I've known him for quite a while now. Um, you know, eight years or so, something like that. And uh I just you know, made a deal with him. Uh, I, so I had sold my uh, PA-12, but even prior to selling my PA-12, I asked him, uh, you know, hey, do you mind if I fly some of your airplanes every once in a while? And, um, you know, in return, I'll work on them for you. And and he said, you know, no, sounds good to me. So instead of him paying me, uh, you know, any type of rate to go work on his airplanes, I go up there and I enjoy it. You know, I like being around airplanes. I like to, uh, I like working on things with, you know, working with my hands in general anyway. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, so we have that trade off. So I get to, uh, so I go work on his airplanes and, you know, have full access to fly them whenever I want and all that how, stuff. How long ago did you guys kind of have that agreement set in place? Uh, probably the 2012, um, somewhere in there. So, so 10 years ago. So pretty, yeah, about 10, 10 years now. So wow. Yeah. All right, so ten years into this agreement, who's making out on this deal? You yeah. or him? I would say him. I barely use it. Uh, really? But okay. I mean, I've taken a cool, a, a couple cool trips. Um, I took the two hundred six within the first couple of years. Um, we went down to Myrtle Beach and uh, Savannah, mm. Georgia. You know, a nice long like week vacation. Um, I've took it over to Ocean City um, once. I took it to uh, uh, Outer Banks once. And then, um, but man, this was, uh, the 206 stuff was, most of it was prior to the carbon cub. And now that I don't have my PA-12 anymore and the carbon cub came along, I mean, I feel like I'm making out on this deal because, you know, total free access to a carbon cub. I mean, you can't go rent those, you know, I certainly can't afford to buy one right now. Um, so to just have access that, I mean, that is my dream airplane and to have, full blown access to go fly one whenever I want for, for free really. Cause you know, I offer to pay gas for him and, and he's like, ah, get me next time, you know? And yeah. I think I've heard that about 20 times now. So <laughs> yeah. I'm probably a good hundred gallons ahead. So, right. but uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, so but just with cool deals like that for an individual who owns multiple aircraft, there probably is a point where, I don't want to know that you're necessarily doing them a favor, but in your AMP, so weigh in on this. Is there a point where it's better for the airplane to get flown than to sit? What's your stance on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, just think about it. Think of those, those cylinders sitting there with, uh, you know, not moving, no oil flow going through them, you know, months at a time, years at a time. Yes. Right. I mean, that's terrible. So, yeah. you know, they're going to start rusting yeah. and, uh, you know, you rust doesn't go away. Right. right. I mean, it, well, the it will does. to some extent, the but, but the pitting, right. The pitting, you know, from that rust, that so what, doesn't so go away. In terms of, uh, you're probably going to go there, but let me lead you into it for the, you know, the newer people listening that will listen. The rust pit, where, where will that be in the cylinder and why does it matter? It's going to be on your cylinder walls. I mean, it's going to be on a lot of things, right? Uh, yeah. 
primarily your cylinder walls. That's that what we're worried about. Be the big, yeah, the big worry. So that's and your compression. How, yes. Great. Yep. So, right. So that's your compression. That's your rings. You know, the rings push out, uh, uh, the rings go around the piston, right? Um, they're kind of like a spring steel type material that push out uh, on the cylinder wall and to make a good seal. compression, yeah. right? Uh, seals it up, makes your compression. And that's what a, uh, a mechanic is looking at uh, during annual or like a hundred hour inspection. Um, I don't know, you know, for people who haven't seen it, you take kind of a, a gauge that um, one end is like a cutoff spark plug, if you will. Um, and it goes up to a uh, pressure gauge. And then on that pressure gauge uh, connects to an air compressor. And you have a dial that uh, you set uh, 80 pounds of pressure and uh, an 80 over 80 cylinder. You know, that's a, that's what you want. Uh, I don't know, you know, different airplanes have different specs, of course, for, for right. like a minimum compression, but, yeah. uh, but you go around each cylinder and you're looking for that, you know, in the seventies type number, you know, you get below seventies and that's when you're like, uh, you know, let's see what's going on. So, all right. So perfect. And we may have talked about, I know, we've, have we talked, had the rich of peak and lean to peak conversation? Have you and I had that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we okay. did just talk about this. Let's pretend yeah. that we didn't. Let's pretend. Let's pretend we we probably won't get there anyways. But so yeah. this is meaty. People like this. All these types of like, is it Ford or Chevy? Is it Rich Peak, Lena Peak? Is it manual? Is it automatic? All these types of, is it straight weight or is it a multi grade? You know, all those types of things. Like there's two camps, yeah. right? So with the compression test, you're putting 80 psi in there. And we're trying to see what our return is. My question is, and I've read, I've read not studies, but I've read documents on on this. How representative of, um, how representative of the actual operating conditions of the engine is eighty psi? I would say not accurate at all. It is a completely ridiculous metric. If the engine ran fine when you rolled it in, it probably runs fine. Yeah. Unless you go so, with a boroscope and you start seeing pitting and like there's you come up with a reason. But if the cylinder walls look good, the valves are seated, and for some odd reason you're coming up with 70, 68, 67, whatever that threshold is. Yeah. I'm like, man, I don't know about this. Yeah, no, I think it's a good, it's a, I think it's a good thing because I mean, how do you know it's running strong, right? So you're sitting behind it, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so, I mean, so you have what, four cylinders, right? Six cylinders, you know, what do you want to call it? Four cylinders. Okay. So did you feel each of the four cylinders running? You know, if you have one low cylinder, right? Low sixties. Okay. But but you have three other strong cylinders that, that are in the you know seventies, mid seventies, upper seventies, that's gonna be a strong feeling engine. You're gonna feel like your engine's fine. But you might have um, you know had a piece of a valve break off. You might have uh, a ring broken in there or something, mm. or mm. maybe maybe your rings have, have aligned, right? So like, you know, there's a stack of rings, there's like four rings typically. Uh huh. Um, you know, so the rings all have uh, a little tiny 
because they're snap camera. rings. They're effectively but, yeah, snap right, rings, right? Right. So they're so they're lined up, right? So so the idea is not to have them all line up with the gaps all in line. Right? So they don't because rotate over big, time. They do rotate over time, and that's why when you put them in, when you're doing a new cylinder assembly, you offset that. Yeah, like so kind of index them almost. Exactly, you index it in in anticipation that they're not gonna that they're all gonna turn equally, um, and not line up. So, wow. but you know, so you get that one bad cylinder, right? So your engine runs strong, but now you have one bad cylinder. Now uh-huh. you dive in and see, you know, what's the health of that cylinder, right? Yeah. So, I I get where where you could say it's not a good metric, but it also it's 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 a good starting point. So if you like, so let, I, okay, I'll agree it's a good starting point, but 80 PSI, let's put in 80 PSI, but like, so things that, that don't work at 80 PSI, run this operate, run this engine up to operating temp, put in 240 PSI, what difference may we see? That's not, and 240 PSI is nothing compared to the pressures going on inside that engine when it's running, is my point. Yeah, really nothing. I mean, the the eighty psi thing. I don't know what the um, what it's the an exact... arbitrary number. It seems right. like an arbitrary number to me, and I think the casual observer. I would agree, um, but here's what that number gets you right. So you can you can look at that gauge and you can tell okay, there's blow by right, and now yep. now you can start listening and listening to your engine and saying okay. Am I hearing this blow by somewhere? So you go down and stick your ear down by the exhaust while somebody yep. has that PSI on there. You know, oh, I hear air out of the exhaust. Okay, so the exhaust valve's leaking, right? Yep. Or you can go to like where your carburetor is for your intake. And then you can say, okay, I hear air leaking there. So there's your intake valve, right? So yep. now you know like it's a valve issue. I or you don't hear any of those, right? And you hear it in through the oil breather. And now you know, okay, it's it's leaking past the rings. So now we have a ring issue. And, and then you can dive what, into your problem. Right. Well, and I see like I feel like when you have an intake, an intake, uh an intake valve not seating or an exhaust valve not seating, I feel like those are I'm gonna whack on this rocker back on this uh what we, yeah, the rocker arm till it seats. Yeah. And then we're gonna be good. And I see that, like you're you you have isolated a reason. You put it by the exhaust. You hear it coming out. It's like okay, we have a reason. It's the exhaust valve, probably carbon. Most likely, it's just carbon buildup. Most likely, yeah, yeah. Valves need reset, right? Yeah. And so we'll whack on this, and hopefully, you know, break it down or break down the carbon, and it'll seat well enough to get back within range. We're not looking for a total fix, eighty over eighty. That's not going to happen. But we're looking for in the, the acceptable range. You've come you've come up with an issue or you've come up with a reason why it's sixty seven over eighty and not seventy four over eighty. That's right. what we're looking for. But like let's say it's not either of those. It's not intake, it's not exhaust valve. Because those are easy to be leaking. I mean that is yeah ha- half the time. It's right. that simple. It's carbon buildup. But then when it's it's something else and you suspect a blow by because it you know, just weak compression, weak compression. That's what we're testing. We're not testing. Obviously, the valves not seating for like a catastrophic failure of the valve. That would be bad. And I get that. And it's yeah. good to, to, to find that. But most of the time, I think we're worried about the, the, um, mm, what I want to say. 
the condition of the of the cylinder. That is what we're really yeah. looking for, right? If we find other reasons, that's one thing, and that's good to find. But what the test is for is mostly for the condition of the cylinder, right? When, uh, yeah, and you know you're you're hitting the head, right? But the the valves, the intake valve, exhaust uh-huh. valve, that's all that is part of the cylinder. You know, yes. it's all of that yes. assembly. It comes yes. off as one whole piece, right? Yes. So yeah, so you're checking, you're checking all that with that compression check. It's checking yes. multiple I'm, things. Yeah. Okay. But I, I mean, I guess what I'm thinking from a really, uh, no, you're right. I can't argue with you. You're thinking of the argue. pitting. I get, I get you. The pitting yeah. on the cylinder walls and without a borescope, you're not going to see Everybody wants to yeah. When I think about that piston coming up and it's putting all this pressure, how many pounds per square inch is that piston generating that, okay, the spark plug ignition event has happened. It's burning that fuel air mixture and now it's coming back up. It's going to seat that intake valve. 80 PSI is not a representative of the probably 100,000 PSI that is happening in that cylinder. If you come up with an intake, well, okay. If you come up with an intake leak, 80 PSI is not telling me what, how that valve would be seated with that piston coming up to top dead center. Yeah. I think it's more along the lines of the, um, the valve when it's like opening, right. Or when it's like just closing, it's prior to the, like the piston being at the top dead center. Type okay, so thing. exhaust valve is open, piston so exhaust up to push the exhaust the spent out. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know when they're seated. Um, it's, yeah, so it's the, the, the intake the valve. valve. Yeah. yeah, the intake valve would be closed. So if you come up with an intake valve leak, or you hear you hear you got the eighty psi on with the compression test. Yeah, yeah. You're you're running the you're. Swing and if anybody's ever seen, like you and I've seen it a billion times. Yeah, so it's kind of like you're running the prop through and you're just kind of riding it right on that edge to see where you can hear the sounds. So you have the yeah. PSI coming in through the spark plug type, the like adapter into the mm-hmm. cylinder to kind of pressurize yeah. the cylinder. Uh, and you're riding the prop and you're kind of just seeing like where the sound comes from and how it registers on the gauge. And if you hear it coming out of the intake. My thought is, like, was that cylinder? Would that cylinder still be leaking if you had ten times more psi on it? I don't know. How many psi happens in that cylinder when that piston's coming up? You know, the exhaust valve's open, the intake valve is closed. Would we be seating that valve on an operating engine? Yeah, so <laughs> my mind's not there right now. I apologize. No, that's cool. That's cool. It's, no, we've yeah. no, we've gone too deep down that hole. Yeah, so yeah. It's it's a worthwhile, it's a worthwhile, um, whatever event maintenance function to do. Uh, my my thought is just, what do we really like? We so back in the day, we had a couple two hundred sixes we would run the islands with, and like I've said before on the show, on a Normal day in the winter, lakes froze over, you have ice fishermen, you're moving groceries, UPS, FedEx, mail, people, basketball team on Saturdays. 
the basketball team. There's a basketball team on the island. There's best. There's a visiting basketball team. If it's a home game, you're taking the visiting basketball team. So you're talking a lot of flights. You're talking on an average day. You're talking thirty or so landings. The busiest day I ever had, I did seventy-two landings in one day flying the islands. And so if you can picture that, how hard that in the winter now, you're up to full operating temp, shutting down. You're doing a five-minute turn, ten minute less than ten minute turn for sure, pretty much at on every airplane. Yeah. And now firing it back up, getting it up to operating temp. And we all know after you shut that engine down, that's people worry about shot cooling, and we've talked about that. I yeah. will say I think the the biggest reduction in cylinder head temperature happens at shutdown. I think that you can shot cool the engine worse by the shutdowns than you can actually in the air. Uh, yes and no, I would say, um, yeah. I think, uh, I think a major shot cool, uh, example would be like a, uh, skydiver, right? So they're going up to 10, 11, 12,000 feet, yep. you know, dumping, dumping the guys out and they want to get back on the ground faster than the skydivers come down, you yeah. know? So, so you just, you know, you just ran the, the piss out of that airplane all the way up to 10,000 feet, you know, firewall, you know, standing on its tail and climbing like a, you know, whatever. And uh, you get up there and uh, dump them out and then power idle, you know, dive it to the ground. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So okay. Um, I get that there's still a fire burning in there. Right. I mean, that, yes. that, that engine's still idling, but you know, you're going from an extremely cool temperature. Um, up there to uh you know all the way back to the ground and then you're shutting it off right so so you're getting that that idle that idle uh, uh power or not idle but i'm um, uh a, a shutdown yeah. shot cool right along yeah. the line uh, along with a you know high altitude um shot cool so. so but isn't the same reason so okay this is getting deep and I do want it because you're the right person and I don't know when you'll be on next. Isn't the same reason our cylinder temps get so high at altitude is because there is less air going across them to begin with. So doesn't the same logic apply to the shot cooling concept as well? There's less medium. There's less air at altitude. So there's less air to shot cool your engine. Indicated airspeed goes down. It's cooler air, right? I mean, yeah, but the density's there. The density so, isn't there. Yeah, the density isn't there. You had to run this by me again. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm just saying, like, so, like, I yeah. picture like a high performance single, like a, a Bonanza, turbocharged Bonanza, a uh, Malibu, yeah. uh, you know, a pressure something pressurized, it's like pushing the piston engine to its limit, an okay. Aerostar, a a six O. Yeah whatever 601 602p or a superstar aerostar yeah you're running these things hot it's a it's a it's a piston powered pressurized airplane so you're pushing it to kind of the piston limits you're up in the 20s 20,000 feet plus and you got it all leaned out right and everything's just right and your cylinder head temperatures are just right well you know the logic is to me it seems that there's less air air going across those cylinders they're going to run hotter at those altitudes cylinder head temperatures are going to be at their peak at those altitudes 
Um, I guess obviously power setting dependent, of course. Mixture setting dependent, obviously that's in there too. But as, assuming you're running consistent kind of mixture power settings, seventy five percent, sixty five percent, so on. Assuming you're yeah. running those consistently, maybe that doesn't even matter. I guess my point is there's less. My thought is there's less medium there through which you are traveling, which is why true airspeed goes up, indicated airspeed goes down. How big a factor might that play? I understand what you're saying, and I think the biggest thing about I picture this 206 or 182, you know, doing these circles, just climbing yeah. at VY, best rate of climb speed up to 14,000 feet or 13,000 feet, dumping them, getting back down as quickly as possible. I picture that, and I agree with you, but where I kind of get lost is, okay, you're up high, and now, so I picture, I don't picture the skydive anymore. I picture the Malibu, uh, the Malibu, the piston Malibu. He's just humming along 200 knots. Okay, it's time to descend. Yeah. I'm just going to nose it down, bring the power back, maybe, and I'm going to shot cool. Like, I think that's... The extreme example of the skydivers, yeah, I can't argue with that. I don't see, I don't see any way out for my argument with that one. But with the Malibu in a more traditional use of an aircraft, you're mm -hmm. up high, going fast, leaned out, everything's set up, cylinder head temps are at their peak, their whatever safe peak, whatever. And now it's time to descend. I'm gonna push the nose over, get airspeed increasing. I'm gonna pull power back, maybe. So now I've increased airflow, reduced temperature, like internal temperature. Yeah. That would be like a good recipe for shot cooling, it seems. Sure. But my thought is, you and I know, like when we go do a high altitude stall, like in the sim. Yeah. We do a high altitude stall, like 37,000 feet or whatever. Right. And how many thousands of feet does it take to get any real recoverable airspeed? Oh, yeah, significant. Yeah. Significant, because there's no air. <clears throat> Doesn't right. that play into the shot cooling concept? I know we're talking about twelve thousand feet yeah. versus thirty-seven thousand. Yeah. I get it, but yeah, I have to. I I gotta dive into that one a little deeper. Um, my initial thoughts are, uh, Lee, you're full of shit. The air density doesn't matter, right? Because it's the temperature of the air coming over the cylinder, right? It's cold out in outer space too. Yeah, yeah. And there's no well. Air. That's that's and why I think no it's air. getting. That's why I think it's getting shock cooled. Is this the temperature? That the so there's still airflow over those. But there's cylinders, no molecules. Right? There's no molecules going across it to dissipate the heat. There's no airflow. There's still airflow, but less less a, uh, a less dense less. airflow. A lot yeah, less. Yeah. So running. Yeah. So like running. Let's, let's say a Malibu, and I could. Right. I mean, if you had a different example, that's fine. But I'm just trying to think of like high. No, that's cool. Yeah. No, I agree. Running at the peak of. So, um, what's your indicated airspeed? One thirty. So if I can run one thirty with the power way back close to sea level in the pattern. Yeah, and I'm only indicating 130 at 18,000 feet. What difference does it make? Indicated airspeed. Yeah. That's all that matters to that engine. 
not the temperature. Well, I think it's well, and then I think well, it has something to do with full fuel flow, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking about leaning, right? So yeah. or we initially started that, right? So you start leaning it out. So you start taking fuel away. Yes. And your temperatures start to rise. Yes. Right. Yes. Until it until it hits some sort of peak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then and then they and then the temperatures start to fall again, right? So yes. Lean of peak. So yeah. So where does that come into play, right? So you have a same power setting. You know. Same power setting, same airflow, but yeah. you're taking fuel away. So what's the fuel? Where does that fuel come into play for the temperature? For the shock cooling? Cylinder like, temperature. Yeah, yes. shock cooling too, right? Because you're going to take fuel away if you if you go power idle. Right? Uh, you're taking fuel away. Yes, but your your requirement for fuel fuel as a coolant is also reduced. That's some real physics chemist shit there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's what you're getting at. The fuel is a coolant. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Fuel is a coolant. Where yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, your requirement yeah. for it would go down because you're not generating the heat that you need the the fuel for to you know to cool it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well we'll have we'll have to rehash that one maybe a little bit more so. I think we're doing really well for as yeah. buzzed up as we are. Um, yeah. That was a pretty high level yeah. conversation. Um, that was pretty pretty deep, man. Yeah, well, you know that's pretty deep. That's 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 what I do. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, you know me, man. Yeah. I think that's probably a good place to yeah. wrap it up. Um, God, we yeah. got to get you back in because, like, I have carbon cub and stuff written here, and like, we didn't even hardly yeah. talk about it. But we're we coming up on an hour and a half. Yeah. Well, and when we get you on with Rob and Scott, that'll be. That'll be good. That'll be good. The, good. the first ones, and thank you again for coming on. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When Hopefully you get somebody gains something out of this. So. <laughs> oh, probably a lot. Rob's been texting me the whole time. This is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. So, um, I hope. But it's not editable. That's, it's not editable. Yeah. So this is whenever somebody hears this, uh, they'll, they'll hear every cough I it's did. Raw. Every, yeah, it's yeah. raw, man. Do All my raw. sniffles and sniffles and burps. Same here. And that wraps up this week's episode of the Far Aim Podcast. Uh, I want to thank once again Northern Ohio Flight Legend Andy Kipper for coming on. It was a lot of fun to record this episode with him. I'm bummed about the technical issues with the pilot ground, uh, the live stream, and the chat not working. Um, but with me running the show, what do you expect? Um, especially last minute. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But either way, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did uh, recording it. Uh, We appreciate you guys. We appreciate everybody's support. We'll talk to you on Pilot Ground. Take care. See ya.